Pentecost Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 24th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of November 12th, 2023, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited to first give a huge thank you to everyone listening. Last week was our most listened to first week metric that I have ever had in all the recordings that I've had. And for me, that's one of my most important metrics that I look at. It's that and then looking at the overall monthly, how many people are listening, and that way they can even go back and catch up on different ones and such. But for me, the first week metric, that is something that to me gets me genuinely excited because it's a podcast that we're putting out about a week before this sermon, a week before you're going to church. And so to have as many people as we did this last week tune in and listen in, it gives me a lot of excitement. It gives me a lot of joy to be able to see that people are valuing what I have to say. I will also say I'd love to hear comments. I'd love to hear feedback. I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking thinking about with it. But first and foremost, thank you so much. It's a great appreciation. It's one of those things that I don't feel I necessarily do enough is recognizing how much I do appreciate every single listen that you guys are doing. It's amazing for me. The second thing before we jump too far into this week's podcast is we have to look back to last week's question, which was a twofer this last week. How do you stay humble in our world? And how do we recognize artists and other important people around us before they're gone? And I got a really good response this last week that I really enjoyed is the recognition of one, looking to different artists around us, especially like vocal artists and different things of that nature to kind of help us recognize this. The song Soak Up the Sun by Sheryl Crow was recognized as recognizing it's not about getting what you want, but wanting what you've got is the quote that one loyal listener responded with. And I think that's a great adage to be for us to be thinking about and contemplating when we're trying to stay humble. And then this same person did a great job of recognizing that each of us have different gifts and abilities, and it means that we have gifts and abilities and things that we do well or recognize when others are doing well in that. And then it's our responsibility then to use that gift to support others, appreciate others when they are working in that. And I really enjoy that idea and mantra. I think it's one of the ways that does help us stay humble. It helps us to stay on our toes. It helps us to recognize the process of what is going on. And it's one of the things that I know within my life at different stages, it's the recognition of not feeling like everything's a threat. It's recognizing that someone else can do well as well as myself doing well. It's okay for someone else to do better than I am within different things. And maybe there's ways that then I can learn from that person. So I think in that way, it opens up the door for a lot of humbleness to actually really come through and to guide our conversations. This week is a really busy week. We get a lot of different texts this week. So let's just jump into it because there's a lot to go through here. So the semi-continuous Old Testament text is out of Joshua chapter 24 verses 1 to 3a and 14 to 25. Now, this is remembering where we've been last week. Joshua now has moved the people into the promised land. Joshua then is bringing the people together and basically recognizing, okay, 
you are recognizing that the Lord has done all this, that as we followed the Lord, the promises that were made to our ancestors like Abraham, we are now in that land. We are in the land that has been promised to us. But in doing that, in all this time that they've been separated, there has been other traditions, gods, foreign gods that they have picked up along the way. This is where we get Joshua's most famous line, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But it's then the people recognizing along with that, that yes, we are recognizing at this point that it's the Lord who is leading us and guiding us. We will put these other things aside. Joshua trying to help them recognize this is a very jealous God who is very much about his people. And God really doesn't like the idea of sharing that with someone else. But it's this wholehearted devotion that it's going to take then. And the people are like, yep, we're in this. And we recognize the cycle that we get, especially in the Old Testament. And I think in a lot of times within our own lives where we do really well and then we have times where we struggle. And this is a moment where Israel is doing really well. And yes, continuing to follow then in the footsteps of where God is wanting them to be and obeying God in this sense. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 78, the first seven verses. This then is a psalm of recognizing, of hearing God, listening for God, which plays into the Joshua text that we're going to have to be listening and hearing for God. But then it gets into this tone within the second half of the psalm, starting in verse 4, of talking about future generations and recognizing that look at what God has done for all these different generations and recognizing and help them to understand that God is not going to be abandoning them. But as long as you are following in the precepts of where God is wanting us to be, God continues to be with us. The alternative text to that this week, we get to potentially go into the Apocrypha. There's a couple alternative readings here. So the Apocrypha, again, is a set of books that is not part of your Protestant Bible, per se, but it's part of these books that are recognized as holy texts, but now you're, probably aren't in a Protestant Bible, but would be in like a Catholic Bible. And some really great stuff that's in there. And one of these books is the Wisdom of Solomon. And they're going to chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. This then is talking about how if we are going to be pursuing wisdom, It means that we have to constantly be seeking it. It's not just something that's laid upon us. It's something that we are seeking actively, that we are looking for, that we are making time for. And in that time, as Solomon kind of puts it, Lady Wisdom will then continue to help us in that guiding principle. The alternative text to that then is out of Amos chapter 5 verses 18 to 24. This is a text where Amos then is getting into the people and kind of laying in a little bit hard, especially starting here in verse 18, where the people are kind of looking for the day of the Lord, the resurrection, the end of times. And it's this idea of why. This is not the point of what we're trying to do. This is not the point of what we're about. We're not about the darkness and the death of what this life is. We are about the life that God gives us. And so in doing that, we aren't preparing for the end. We are anticipating the end with excitement, but yet we're still living in the current moment. And so recognizing that in doing all this, that it's this living aspect that we are anticipating while preparing. 
And then you get verse 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. A very familiar line that we get out of that. For the psalm, we can go to the wisdom of Solomon and pick up continually where we've been, starting again in chapter 6, going from 17 to 20. And so this is again that idea of how it's a love then that comes through this, this pursuing of who God is through the wisdom that is pursued in Lady Wisdom, that in that it is able to guide us into the kingdom of God and what God is desiring for us. The psalm, alternatively, is Psalm 70, all five verses of it. And it's this recognition of how we in our life are trying to seek God. Sometimes we fall down. But it's continuing to turn our eyes toward God and recognizing that and putting aside the things in life that are steering our way this way or that and helping to keep our eyes fixated on who God is. The New Testament text, the epistle text then, is out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. And again, this is where Paul is talking about not focusing on the death, but it's in the life of what Christ has done, the resurrection, the new life that is being provided, that we are alive and that we are to be examples of that. We are to be the hands and feet of who God has called us to be, to be alive and be this great cloud of witnesses living currently on earth and encouraging one another to walk this life that God is calling us into, no matter how difficult that is. This process is what God is calling us into, which is a life-giving process, not just a process of anticipating death. The gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 1 to 13. This is a parable that we get that the kingdom of God is like this, that there are 10 bridesmaids with their lamps to meet the bridegrooms. Five are foolish, five are wise, five bring extra oil, five don't. So they're out there waiting, getting drowsy, fall asleep. At midnight, there's a shout, look, here is the bridegroom ready to meet him. And the bridesmaids get up, they've trimmed their lamps, they're ready to go in. The foolish then are asking for more oil for their lamps. The wise are saying, if we do that, there isn't enough for ours. Go to the dealers, buy some, and come back. They go, buy some, and then they can't get in. And the bridesmaids at this point are crying out, Lord, Lord, open for us. And it's the response of, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This anticipation of when God is coming, we aren't sure, but be prepared. So, before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plugs for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some direction, some ideas, some different ways to look from biblical scholars at these texts, along with amazing commentaries, amazing discussions that are going on over at workingpreacher.org. If you haven't checked that out, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really like how they lay out the text week to week, but along with that, they have art, prayers, hymns, colors, a lot of different things to help prepare you for the upcoming week in worship. So if you haven't checked out that resource, I would highly 
recommend that. Finally, I'd also highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. These are either a weekly reflection or a monthly newsletter that gives a variety of resources that talk about and even events that are going on in the upper Midwest, but also getting into the ecological echoes, implications, and urgencies that can be brought into a weekly lectionary or preaching or preparing you for worship. If you are spending a half an hour a week listening to my podcast, I'd highly recommend checking out these resources. As I've stated, I am looking at writing one of these lectionary responses here coming up pretty soon before the end of the year. So if you want to catch that and see me in not probably my typical strong suit, I'd highly recommend checking out the Greenblades Preaching Roundtable and the Greenblades Rising Publications. Links for that will be down in the show notes. When I was thinking about these texts, the interesting thing with this is that we are being called to listen. We are being called to pursue wisdom. We are called to opening our ears. We are called to be prepared. We are called to actively live. And a lot of that seems like it contradicts itself in a lot of ways. It's hard. And I think especially as a 21st century person listening to this text, It's contradictory to a lot of things that we've been told. We've been told to go, go, go. We've been told to continue to work harder, to grind, to figure out ways to make it happen. And gone are the days where there's periods of rest. Gone are the days when we recognize that there are times we need to slow down to recover. And especially as we look at different contexts, when we're having to do some type of recovery, it's seen as, oh, this is going to take so long. I'm going to lose so much time. I'm going to lose so much X, Y, or Z. And I think in doing that, we're potentially actually losing the purpose of what God is trying to call us into. And I think with doing that, I think an example of this is actually trees, especially in the upper half of the northern hemisphere or the lower half of the southern hemisphere because I think there is some things that they can teach us to recognize that it isn't wasted and I would argue it's time where we can continue to re-incline our ears to God that we can be prepared and ready without necessarily burning ourselves out that in doing the preparation that is needed, it allows us to bring that extra oil to make sure that we can burn as long as we need to burn. If we need to burn all night long, we're there. But we are prepared for that burn, not just going to wing it and burn. Let's get into it. When we go through the fossil record, we can see that trees in their current evolution evolved in the tropics area, so toward the equator and above and below that some. But the further north that you went, the less and less trees that there were. And the reason was, is in these early trees, there were two different factors that we were running up against at that point that limited trees from being able to grow further and further north. First, the xylem, which moves the water and nutrients up and down the tree, was quite large. Think of it like big straws that go up and down. And in order for these straws to act like tubes and actually continue to move the piping of water up and down, they needs to be a lack of air bubbles within that water flow to be able to keep that consistent pressure 
to keep that intermolecular attraction of water to continue to defy gravity. In doing that, the further north that you would go, in the freezing, the gases that sometimes would be caught in the liquid would then create air bubbles, and then those air bubbles would block the pipe and create a gap, which then would break this intermolecular attraction or this the natural suction, if you want to put it that way, of the moving of nutrients up and down the tree, which then would kill the tree. The second thing that we ran into is that the leaves themselves were active cells and with the freezing of that would cause the active cells within the leaf to burst which then destroys it. And we know that the leaves are being used as a main purpose of fuel for the whole tree through photosynthesis and chlorophyll to be able to bring the nutrients and the sugars into the tree to be able to grow. So what ended up happening was there's two different things that evolved, one before the other, first being the xylem getting narrower. And in doing that, that actually helped with drought because even during drought times when the tree is really working hard to get all the moisture and nutrients out of the ground there was potential to get air bubbles in there and with running narrower pipes or narrower xylem the physics of it makes it so it's less likely to have an air bubble that would just block and just destroy the intermolecular attraction or the natural suction within the tree So in doing that, it not only allowed it to be able to grow in more northern climates, but it also allowed it to be more anti-drought resistant, to be able to allow for the tree to be more resilient long term. The second thing that then happened is then you had the evolution of two different ways of handling the problem with leaves and what are we going to do. So first, you had a solution of having sugary sap being put into the leaves to provide a sense of antifreeze for these leaves to be able to go throughout the whole winter. This is what our conifers or like pine trees do. This concentrated sugary sap is put into the leaves to provide the antifreeze to the leaves so that the cells don't burst, providing the energy that's needed for them for the whole winter months. And thus you're able to see when the chlorophyll is being activated again, where they are producing in the spring with the new growth and the bright green that comes with that compared to the dull green that you get the longer and longer the winter goes on. The second one is what probably a lot of people are familiar with, especially within the fall season of in deciduous trees, that you have photosynthesis has happened within the leaf, which provides chlorophyll, which is then creating all the sugars and stuff, the nutrients for the tree to be able to continue growing. A lot of the sugar production. It is a more dominant color, more prominent color than the carotenoids, which are the yellows, orange, browns, pigments that you would see in like corn, carrots, pumpkins, sweet potatoes, or the anthocyanins, which are the reds and purples that are in cherries, berries, pomegranates, or red apples, that as the plant starts to recognize the production is going down, we're having shorter days, the cooler days, the day length, the production of the factory in the leaves is providing less, that the tree is then deciding to put less and less energy into that and starts bringing more and more of that energy into the root system, into the trunk to prevent 
it from freezing, which then allows for these carotenoids and anthocyanins to be presented, to be able to see those yellow, oranges, browns, purples, reds, colors to be able to be more prominent within the leaves. In doing that, there is naturally an obsession point, which are special cells at the base of the leaf that make them more fragile. They're not as strong of bonded together. On top of that, the new leaf buds that will come in the spring, but you can see the leaf nodes there start to come and push out to prepare for the next year and they're going to freeze at that state. And in doing that, it rips and loosens that joining point of that leaf so that a wind is able to move and float that leaf away. What does this all have to tie into with these texts? For me, when I hear and think about this with trees, you start to see how trees then have evolved to be prepared. They recognize it is not worth them trying to get that last bit of energy as the sun and the amount of production that they have gotten has reduced so much. It's not worth them to continue to put the energy into that. It's not worth it. We're going to conserve that energy. We're going to either put that sugary packets into those leaves to be able to continue to be there and not freeze all winter, or we're going to pull that sugar down. We're going to put less and less energy to make sure that the chlorophyll just kind of burns off eventually here. And we're going to go into a preservation mode. We're going to prepare for what is coming. Because we are sensing and seeing that things are happening and we can control this aspect of it and get ready for it. So that if something turns around, sure, we can turn things back on again. We can throw energy back into that. We're ready to rumble in the spring. When that stuff turns, we're ready to go. But it's not worth us trying to get every ounce of everything out of it because it's just going to hurt us in the end. We have to be prepared. And what has this actually done? Deciduous trees have actually gone back into the tropics. And what it actually has done is added another layer of drought protection for these trees. Because if it goes into drought and things are difficult, the tree shuts down. The tree starts pulling back the sugars, putting them back into the trunk, into the root system to preserve itself and let the leaves go. And when the rain comes, when things, conditions change, we'll start growing again. Until that time comes, we are going to preserve and be ready. And it's actually one of the things that they have found is that conifers with having this antifreeze with the concentrated sugary sap, it's the only thing that we have found that is purely just for winterization within trees species. So it's super fascinating that way. But I think these trees help us recognize within our faith Yes, we are looking forward. Yes, we are anticipating things. Yes, we're excited about the future. But that doesn't mean that we quit living now. That doesn't mean that we don't prepare. But it doesn't mean that we just go all out, that we're just going to keep trucking along. We're going to get every ounce of everything out. There is a value to preparing while still living. Because the tree doesn't die while still living and being prepared ready for that opportunity to grow again, but still live in this state of preparing for the next opportunity to grow. And I think that's where in doing that, in that preparation time, it's a time of listening. It's a time of contemplation. It's a time of slowing down. 
It's a time of recognizing that this isn't the moment to be trying to get everything out of everything and getting every droplet of water out of this sponge or whatever until this is bone dry and there's nothing left that it can give. God isn't asking that from us. God isn't asking us to get to the point when our bodies or ourselves that there is nothing left to give. That is not the point. The point is, yes, there is a time to give and a time to heal and refresh and refill and slow down. If we are going at 120 miles an hour at 120%, there's at some point we are going to have to slow down because we can't maintain that level. And I think so often within the culture, within the world that we're in, we're so used to this now. We think this is the way that it is. And that's where I think the Joshua text is so powerful of Joshua calling out, you can't be serving these foreign gods. You can't be chasing these things that what the rest of the world is getting at. And we hear that even in this Amos text that we're, you're looking for the end before you're even done living. Like, why are you doing this? You are called to so much more. And that's where Psalm 70 helps so much is that we're supposed to be keeping our eyes on God, recognizing there's going to be times where we fall off. There's going to be times where we miss the mark, but it's how fast can we readjust our eyes and get them locked back on again, recognizing we made a mistake, recognizing God help me, recognizing how can we do this better. And that's where the wisdom of Solomon plays in because it means that we need to continue be seeking that wisdom. Trees have gone through this process. Trees have recognized if we are going to continue to expand, if we're going to grow our range, we need to figure out ways to actually be able to grow in those conditions. And to do that, there's going to be some sacrifices that we have to make in order for us to be able to do that. And these are going to be things that, on the outside, it seems weird because the sun still shines in the winter. But the amount of time and the amount of effort and the amount of energy that would go into that makes it not a worthwhile endeavor. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I think this is one of the things that we have to continue to think about. How do we have the time to just keep pushing and actually still listen to God? At what point do we stop and listen and stay there for a while? And not be in a hurry to get to the next thing. Because if we're falling into that trap, I would argue that then we are missing the point. How can we listen for wisdom if we're constantly pushing the tempo? One of the things that I've been doing lately, I've been getting back into doing some running. And there's been a couple times where I've had to slow down and even stop running for a period of time because I've, for the first time in my life, had shin splints. And the only thing you can do is to stop and let them heal. And that your body and what you are trying to do, your body cannot keep up with you. You're trying to push farther and faster than what your body can do. So the question I have for this week is where can we stop and listen and stay there for a while with God? Where can we stop and listen and stay there for a while with God? We need this in our world, in our culture, to be able to do this. And we are called into listening and obeying and looking for the wisdom of what Lady Wisdom is trying to teach us, the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to speak? 
Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to whisper something for us to be able to hear it, or are we running past it? Are we willing and able to listen to our bodies when our bodies is telling you you need to take a day off, or do you just push through? Trees have gone through this process and can show us this process on how you need to prepare. It doesn't mean that you're stopping the growth process. It means you're pausing for a moment, but you're ready for the moment that things switch to be able to grow again. You're waiting for that drought to end. You're waiting for the sun to melt the snow and the chart to turn where there's daylight longer and longer, where the temperatures start to warm. They are waiting for that. Doesn't mean that they're stopping the growth. They're just waiting for a while. I think this is something that broadly, as individuals and congregations and worldwide as countries and nations, we can learn from. There used to be seasons where we would slow down a little bit naturally, and it was okay. But it's amazing how we've figured out ways to even pick up those tempos and cram more things in and make it more and more difficult for us to actually slow down, like we're afraid of it. But I think it's something here, as we are getting this example out of Matthew, I think this section speaks so true to who we are at this point in life, that we need to be working on this. And if nature goes through and does this, and is willing to go through the sacrifices that are needed on a year-in, year-out basis, why can't we? And why do we suddenly think that we don't have to do that? Why have we separated ourselves so much from the natural cycle that we don't feel that we need to do that? I wonder at times, is that part of some of the different issues that arise throughout the year is because we don't do that, because we don't stop and reflect and listen for wisdom to speak? Or are we so caught up in just trying to get every ounce of productivity that it ends up actually destroying us in the long run? I think this is yet another place where we can learn from nature to recognize that pausing is okay. Because if we aren't willing to pause, the wisdom that comes from the Lord is hard for us to hear. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.